today. So the title for the talk today is Supernatural Serving to the Max. One of the things I really am hoping that we can grow in is not closeting or, or separating the miraculous stuff like healing and spirit, supernatural spiritual gifts and you know all the nine gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues. All, all, we have this area that's supernatural and then there's the rest of life that's natural. But that we recognize that the call of God is for everything to be supernatural. That there is a life in Jesus available to us where we constantly draw in his presence and his power for things that might in some sense seem to be minute or, or just the everyday course of life. But I want to tell you, there's nothing mundane at all in the kingdom of heaven if we, if we are drawing on Jesus to, to maximize the potential for kingdom release in that situation. It's all beautiful. It's all from him. All of our life is coming to us through Jesus and serving others in that way, whether it's, whether it's healing, whether it's giving a person a supernatural word, prophetic word, or just taking someone out for a cup of coffee and patting them on the shoulder and listening to their, listening to talk about the sadness that they've recently experienced. Empathetically, because that's Jesus giving them an encounter with him in your presence. Supernatural serving to the max. And our call uh, from God to a radical level of serving God, a radical level of serving God and others. And what we're looking at is Mark chapter 8, verse 34 and 35. That's our, that's our uh, anchor verse. And you'll remember that when we talked about the message of Mark in our Gospel series 4.0 surround sound of what the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are amplifying and conveying to us about the personality and person of Jesus. That one of the things that the main thing that Mark was conveying is that Jesus Christ is not not a military leader yet. <laughs> he is going to be one coming when he comes back. Political leader, that's in the future. Two, new heaven and new earth. And he's not just a Daniel 7 son of man that stands before the ancient of days. And this was the expectation of the, of, uh, the Messiah in that day. But what Mark is wanting to convey is that Jesus Christ is the, is the Isaiah 53 suffering servant. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but I came to serve. And that's a way different concept of Messiah. And then in, in uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, he gives us a surprise blessing. He's saying, guess what? Just like I have to pick up my cross and follow God's will, I am calling not just my disciples, but the 12, but everyone who wants to come to me. I'm calling you to pick up your cross and to follow me. Now, a cross to us is something Christians hang around their neck as sort of an innocuous symbol of Jesus' life. But I want to tell you, in the first century, a cross was a horrified, terrorized, terrorizing execution and 
horrible evil, Nazi-level gas chamber, but Roman execution, suffering, to, to try, strike terror into anybody's heart that would see that, that that could happen to you if you don't toe the line with the Roman government. So when Jesus Christ says, as I'm about to read to you, that the call of God is not for only him to pick up his cross, but to us to pick up his cross, our cross, he's conveying to us that the level of serving is not just giving a smile to a neighbor or a friend or a greeting in, a, in church life as powerful and as wonderful as that is, although I, I know for some of us introverts that that's pretty much picking up your cross to have to meet <laughs> someone new, you know, but, but that there are those down through the ages, thousands of believers in Jesus that have served God and serve others by literally being executed as martyrs. It has happened and it will happen again. But it's also a symbol of a lifestyle, a lifestyle of self-sacrifice, self-denial to serve others. And I want to make it very, very clear that when we're talking about self-denial and picking up our cross, it's vital that we understand that that does not mean becoming codependent with someone who's always bossing you around and you're a servile um, slave to their every whim. That's not what Jesus is talking about. If we are living our life of service based on the screaming demands of other people, we will, we will burn out so quick. If we lose ourselves, if we lose our sense of identity because we're so enmeshed in someone else's bossiness in our lives, this is not what Jesus means when he says, pick up your cross. The Holy Spirit is the one that guides us. There's all kinds of needs globally we could give ourselves to. What is it that we're supposed to do? When Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me, he's not saying try to meet every need in the whole world yourself. He's saying, live so close to me. Live with such a awareness of intimacy with me and the fact that I'm moving towards you in love all the time and I'm continually pouring out my spirit to you and conveying to you and sharing with you that I am the one that's leading you to green pastures and still waters and restoring your soul and preparing a great banquet before you in the presence of your emotional enemies. And I've so changed your life that when you look behind you or your life history, that you're not seeing the stuff that would trigger regret and pain and sorrow. But as you look over your life history, you see every pain with Jesus present in the middle of it with overflowing redemption to you, to your, to your present tense reality for you to savor, appreciate, and thank him for. When he says goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, he means that in the rearview mirror of your life, you're looking at the windshield ahead as you move forward, but you're always checking the rearview mirror too. But what you see in the rearview mirror is only goodness and mercy. That when you have this kind of dynamic going on with Jesus Christ leading you in your life, that he's the one that determines with all the needs that are apparent 
that you could give yourself to. And your personal walk and personal journey with you, he has a special focus every day. Works planned before the foundation of the world that he is utterly thrilled and excited about and has been for billions of years for you today to walk in because you're partnering with him to see those fulfilled and realized. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sometimes this, sometimes this Christian life is so good I can hardly stand it. Supernatural serving to the max. First talking point, our call to a radical serving level. Our call to a radical serving to a radical level of serving God and others is grounded in Jesus' radical level of serving. Let's read the verse. Mark 8, 34 and 35. When he, Jesus, had called the people to himself, not just pastors, not just leader types, the people. Along with the disciples, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, whoever desires, whoever wants to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. So as we we see this, extreme level of calling to serving God and serving other people defined by taking up our cross just to rewind a moment and say it is imperative it is fully incumbent upon each of us that we make sure we're taking care of ourselves too so we can go for the long haul in serving God to make sure we have a solid Intimate experience of God continually. To make sure that we're taking care of our recreational life. That we have fun and laughter in our lives. To make sure that we are aware of what our spiritual gifts and callings are and to focus on those. And to make sure we're taking care of our bodies that we are absolutely determined that we are going to care for our bodies in such a way that will maximize the potential for us to live the longest life we can live to glorify Jesus and advance his kingdom and take up our cross every day in service to others out of a platform, out of a ground, a solid ground of Jesus, Jesus taking up his cross on our behalf. Now Jesus takes up his, took up his cross on our behalf and provides a platform of a solid springboard for us. Just prior to the verse I just read, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, I'm going to die, and after three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. And in saying he's doing that, he's, he's amplifying that he's taken up his cross, therefore we can take up our cross. And there's several ways that I want to ramble on a little bit regarding that. One is that, simply by example, I took up my cross, you're my disciples, you take up your cross. Have you ever noticed that there are several times in the New Testament where Jesus Christ corners us 
into a corner, an inescapable corner by his example? You ever notice that when Jesus, for instance, washed the disciples' feet, shockingly doing something that no Lord and Master had ever done before, he washes their feet, and then he says to them, if I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, it's your job to wash each other's feet. How are you going to get away from that one? You are in a corner, by, cornered by Jesus' example that is absolutely inescapable. And that's what he's called us to do in service and love to others, his example. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when God calls a person, he calls him to die. And that's not a morbid, negative attitude towards life. It's a call to follow and serve God and others in a way that releases kingdom life that is absolutely electrifying to you, spirit, soul, and body. Your whole personality is absolutely electrified with fire and glory because of the supernatural element of this great call, this extreme call he's put upon you. But the platform The base for it, the ground for it, is Jesus himself and his atonement, his example. When I was 21 years old, it was summer before I was uh, going to the University of Portland to get elementary ed degree. And I worked for a friend of mine named Larry Bonifue. He was a bricklayer. He learned how to be a bricklayer in prison. (laughs) And uh, he needed a hod carrier and I said, I've never carried hod before. He said, I'll show you. I'll tell you how to do it. One of the hardest jobs I ever did. Carrying mud, carrying concrete buckets, up scaffolding, making sure there's always brick, and hearing that phrase over and over through the hot summer day, a little more mud up here, please. (laughs) Well, one time, I think it was two, at least two levels, might have even been three of scaffolding. And Larry had not put the scaffolding together right. And he was down below, and I was on the third, second or third, and it was high up there. And all of a sudden, the thing started to shake, and I had no platform to, to hold myself, nothing to, nothing to grab on. The only thing I could do was pray and scramble up, to try to climb the bricks as it was falling so they wouldn't fall on me. So I basically was doing some climbing as I was falling. I only injured my ankle, got some scrapes, praise the Lord. But I, I have been reminded down through the years what a, what a wonderful thing it is, our great salvation that God has graced us with that provides a solid platform for life and service that we can count on. It is absolutely secure. His example, Jesus' example, and more. What would Jesus do is a valid and commendable life philosophy. I commend it to you. I think there's some even more beautiful. I'm going to say, tell you those in just a moment, but that's valid. Jesus corners us by his example, and he still does. Yet and yet, when I was a child in the United Methodist Church in Washington, 
The emphasis was on Jesus saving us, not by his shed blood, not by his suffering on the cross, but saving us only by his example of loving others. Jesus was a nice guy. We should try to be like him. That was the insipid, vanilla gospel I heard as a child. And you can imagine how I, how I felt when I discovered there was more. That I was more, there was more than just Jesus loving me, expressing his love, just his, his, his loving feeling, and I'll show you how much I love you, I'll die on the cross. There's something to that. I'm not denying that. But I am so happy. I was, I'm so happy to have discovered that Jesus died for my sins, even mine. That he has come to make his blessings known as far as the curse is found in Daniel Mickelson. In the depths of my own sins and sinfulness His blood reaches that deeply and frees me. It's the most liberating thing in the world. I know you know what I'm talking about. Salvation, this beautiful salvation, isn't just like saying a prayer and God saying, okay, another one said the prayer. I got to write his name in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's so so much more deep and beautiful than that. Do you know that when you call on Jesus to be saved, that you're immediately righteousified? That God chooses to see you from that point on as just as righteous as God himself. That doesn't humble you to your socks. Nothing will. He imputes to us the righteousness of Jesus. And Jesus is God the Son. Martin Luther in the Reformation in the mid-1500s declared that gospel of righteousified by faith in Jesus and it shook Europe. 200 years later, the second part, the other side of the coin of salvation was emphasized with John Wesley. And that was what you've heard me talk about before. This wonderful thing happens when you call on Jesus and mean it, mean it with all your heart. That you're expressing the fulfillment of being foreknown before the foundation of the world. Of being predestined to life. Of being called by God himself. Lazarus, come forth. That you, like the Apostle Paul, can say, Jesus said, let there be light, like on the first day of creation. And he said, let there be light to you. And light burst into your deepest soul and spirit. And you, who were walking in darkness, have seen a great light. And you who are living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And that double-sided coin 
of getting the A plus before you even take the course. And being born from above by God's voice. The gospel preached in the spirit who is the singular evangelist on the planet causing you to to be born again, born from above. My friends, a motivation in the Holy Spirit when you're born of the Holy Spirit starts stirring in your blood. The motivations of Jesus himself stir you and so sins Hold has been broken on you. Sure, he shouts and screams and says, I'm alive and alive, but he's been smitten. When you, when you trust in Jesus, it's the day death died. And there is absolutely nothing like that foundation, that secure platform. It is absolutely so far distant from that shaky scaffolding that so many people are standing on in their lives. So we're cornered by Jesus' example to serve like him. But there's something else stirring in us now. A huge gratitude that we're righteousified by grace alone through faith alone. And the Holy Spirit of God, who's made us a new creature in Christ, old things are passed away, all things are become new. And the new bent towards holiness and righteousness is stirring, and a, a desire, and an and a inescapable stirring to want to serve others is present. And it's the life of Jesus himself living in you and living in me that causes us to want to serve him in that way. How are you? Point two. Our call to a radical level of serving God and others is a call to a very, very different road to happiness. It's a unique road. Truly the road less traveled. There's Tina serving once again. Thank you, Tina. It's a unique road. It's a road that's very, very counterculture. Counterculture. Do you have the courage to be counterculture? It's a road that is very, very counterintuitive. You ever notice that Jesus often calls us to do stuff that's counterintuitive? Like, what's the most intuitive thing when you have troubles and tribulations? And you see trouble and tribulation in the world. For me, it's being, is being anxious and being grumpy. Those darn politicians. What are they going to do next? That's insane. Oh, someone else felt that way. 
What does Jesus say? My peace I give you. In this world, you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. You are a no, and I, we are a no anxiety zone. And we are a cheer zone. The chaos and upsetness and unpredictability of inflation, of mistakes and folly of political leaders. Yes, we should vote and we should pray. But we should also walk in a certain counterintuitive, Holy Ghost-filled, guided confidence that we carry our own inner atmosphere marked by peace and marked by cheer. Always doing things that are counterintuitive. Okay, I'm trying to decide how to do this to finish up. Boy, I got a lot of good more material. How come I only have three points and I've only got one done? There's two minutes left for today. Oh yeah, let's keep going. Let's get, keep going until four p.m. Let's do that. <laughs> you know, you guys are just wonderful to look at. Your smiles are just real precious. It's a different road to happiness. What does the world say to be happy? The world says to be happy, just do what you want. Do what feels good. Do what feels right. Do what's in your heart to do. Whatever your heart wants to do, do that. And yet Jeremiah the prophet says, the heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. And in the book of Judges, when there was all this rebellion and chaos and violence, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. What resonated within them is what guided them in their behaviors and in their actions. The Proverbs says there's a way that seems right, that feels right, but the end thereof is a way of death. I want to tell you this walk of self-denial, it is a counterintuitive walk. Doesn't seem like it should work. Ultimately, it doesn't work. Didn't work for me. I tell people on the street when I do soul winning that I uh, had three priorities before I came to Christ. Basketball, marijuana, and girls. And I'm not going to put the girls or the, or the marijuana up there, but I thought I'd show you a picture of my basketball days. <laughs> I'm number 20. And this is when I could jump real high, this next one. That's me jumping, number 20. I can't believe I could jump that high. Wow. But I was depressed. Why are all my friends so happy with those three priorities, but I'm not? I don't get it. It's not fair. I was depressed until someone introduced me to Jesus. Everything changed. 
supernatural peace, joy, and dance filled my inner being, and it's never left. Through thick and thin, there's always been outward trouble, but I carry my own inner universe filled with a person. His name is Jesus. He's resurrected, and he's alive, and he's with me, and he's with you, and you carry your own inner atmosphere, your inner reality that's hugely different than the happiness of the world. The New Age prophetess of the last generation, Shirley MacLaine, speaks these evil words. Self-discovery is the greatest adventure a person can embark on. Your only obligation in any lifetime is to be true to yourself. I tell you, you'll crash and burn. And societies will too. Arnold Toynbee was a a British historian in the last generation. And uh, he wrote convincingly that every... Every civilization that's ever been described in human history ultimately fell because individuals self-destruct with self-fulfillment. That's what happened. In fact, he put this, this is one of his quotes. Civilizations die from suicide. Do we have that? Civilizations die from suicide, not by murder. Not there? Okay. All right, I'll just read the verse. Then we'll be done. Mark 8, 34, once again. When he had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Your life is truly life is a life of self-denial. The call to happiness through a radical level of serving Jesus and the gospel brings supreme satisfaction, fulfillment, and the happiness that we all long for. I stop this time with a quote from John Stott, British theologian. The road to self-discovery is self-denial. When we die to ourselves in the service of God and others, we find our true selves. If we insist on holding on to ourselves, we will lose ourselves. It's counterintuitive, I'll tell you, it's life. Let's let the word do the work and speak to us, shall we, about these things? Let's stand up. We will have a ministry team on the right side over here. If you haven't started your journey with Jesus, don't procrastinate one day longer. Let this be your day. Come up, say, I want to get right with Jesus. The team will help get you right with Jesus. We'll have prophetic ministry over here starting in about five minutes, even while the ministry here is going on. We've got two workshops going on, too, for those that have applied for those in those areas of ministry. Let's pray. Put your hands on your heart. Today, Lord Jesus Christ,
we praise you for our, this call to a radical level of serving God that's grounded in your radical level of serving us. What a platform for serving. And we praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. That this radical level of, level of serving God and others is a call to a very, very different road to happiness. But it is a road to happiness. The only road to heavenly, glorious happiness in the person of Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Go with a smile on your face, friends. We love you too.